0: Allison, and I'm Alyssa, and this is Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker, where we reread the books we first read as kids and teens, again now, with our adult perspectives.
1: And sometimes, with the help of that glorious adult juice we call liquor. First, we want to acknowledge the lands on which we are recording our podcast today. I'm currently recording on the unceded territories of the Coquitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Katzi, musqueam squamish Kakite, and stolo first nations
0: and i am currently recording on the lands of the mississaugas of the credit the anishinaabe the chippewa the haudenosaunee and the wendat people and i acknowledge that the land i am on is covered by treaty 13 signed by the mississaugas of the credits and the williams treaty signed with the multiple mississaugas and chippewa bands and a quick content warning due to the nature of the book we will be
1: briefly discussing issues of mental health and suicide
0: so what are we drinking today?
1: Uh, well, in my time zone, it is 1030 in the morning, so, but it is a holiday weekend. So I'm drinking a coffee okay. with Bailey's in it because that's like the only drink I can allow myself to drink at this time of the day.
0: That is very respectful. Yeah, yeah I was
1: I was money. gonna do like a, a Mount Doom themed cocktail, but I was like, I can't do it at this early in the morning. I just can't.
0: Oh, yeah. I would have been very impressed yeah. if you had <laughs> pulled out a cocktail. Yeah, So that's
1: that's where I'm at. Uh, what are you
0: drinking? Um, so I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, uh, I have a bit of a cold this week, not COVID thankfully, I have somehow dodged this bullet mm-hmm. like five times this month, but I have a cold, I kind of lost my voice this week a bit, so we are drinking some tea. Love that. Yeah, so I, I've got my sexy Phoebe voice going. <laughs> oh yeah, um, <laughs> smelly, cat. <laughs> smelly cat, smelly cat, smelly <laughs> cat, what are they feeding you? Beautiful. <laughs> I sound great
1: a trained singer ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs> yeah, she is a professional. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> All right. Um yeah, so what was your experience with this book as a kid? Um how would you have rated it? Yeah, so
1: Again, like, sort of mid-high school, I think, is when I got through the series, and I remember enjoying this one on my first read, but I had a similar complaint with it that I did to Fellowship, but, like, sort of the reverse. So instead of taking mm-hmm. a long time to get going, it takes a very long time to wrap up at the end.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um,
1: and that aside, though, I, I did enjoy it. I think I would have given a return, like, a 7 out of 10, because there is a satisfying amount of, like, ending, and we do get answers for a lot of our questions, so I enjoyed that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, once again, I can't honestly rate this one as I didn't read it or really watch the movie in its entirety until I was an adult. Um, there's one part of this movie that we'll talk about later. Oh, yeah. that it's the only part of the movie I remember watching as a kid. So I feel like I can't, as the others, give it an honest rating. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> we'll definitely get into that.
1: Uh, but okay. first, a synopsis for those of you who have not read the book in a while, which is fair because it's very long and it took us a long time to get through it. Here we go. So we left off the two towers with Gandalf taking Pippin to Minas Tirith and Sam realizing that Frodo isn't dead and now he's got to go save him from the orcs. So in the first book of Return of the King, Gandalf and Pippin arrive in Gondor and they warn Denethor, the steward, to the throne that Saruman's army is coming and then they start preparing for battle. Meanwhile, Théoden and the Rohirrim camp are preparing to head to Gondor to aid them in the coming battle. Uh, So switching back to Gondor, Faramir is injured in battle, and Denethor loses faith in their ability to win, and so he tries to burn himself and Faramir alive, which is a strong mood. Uh, Denethor dies, but Gandalf manages to save Faramir, and he's taken to the healers. Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli depart from the Rohirrim camp, and they make their way through the treacherous paths of the dead, a cursed road that everybody does not want them to go down (laughs) Uh, Aragorn uses his title as the rightful king of Gondor to bind the ghostly men of Dunharrow to complete their promise to the previous king of Gondor. So the dead army goes with them and takes on the uh, corsairs of Umbar, and they take their ships and sort of hijack them pirate-style, and they sail down the river to Gondor and join in the battle. Um, So in the battlefield of Gondor, Theoden's army arrives, and Merry, who was with them, wounds the Nazgul Witch King, and Eowyn finishes him off. Uh, though she is wounded during the fight, um, and Aomer then comes across her and is freaking out, so he takes her to the healers, and Aragorn saves her life by telling the healers to get King's Foil. Back in the battle, uh, Gondor and Rohan together defeat Sauron's armies, or sorry, Sauron's armies, <laughs> uh, but Theoden dies in the fight. Soon after, Aragorn leads the armies back to the Black Gates, and they try to distract Sauron while Frodo and Sam
0: finish the big mission. In the final book, Sam rescues Frodo from the tower as the orcs have fought amongst themselves and killed almost everyone. They make their way across the barren land of Mordor disguised as orcs. However, they cast off their disguises and packs when they near the cracks of doom and continue up the mountain. When it's finally time for Frodo to cast the ring into the fires of Mount Doom, the ring takes him and he puts it on. Gollum appears and attacks the invisible Frodo, biting off his ring finger. (laughs) Frodo and Gollum fight, and Gollum falls into the fires with the ring. Convenient. Yeah, very convenient. (laughs) Sorin is defeated, and his evil works are destroyed, including Nazgul. The armies led by Aragorn are victorious as the orcs are killed or run away, and the eagles come to rescue Frodo and Sam. Also
1: very convenient. (laughs) Very convenient.
0: (laughs) With everyone healed and safe and back in Gondor, Aragorn is crowned king, and he finally marries Arwen. Faramir and Aragon Eowyn, are engaged and will be married after Theoden is buried in Rohan. Eomer is crowned king of Rohan, and the whole group make a journey from Gondor to Rohan with Theoden's body. The hobbits journey back to the Shire, and upon arrival, they discover that it's been taken over by Ruffians and their leader, Sharky, <gasps> who is revealed to be sore and devoid of his magic.
1: So annoying.
0: The hobbit, hobbits liberate the Shire, and Sam uses his gifts from of soil from Gal. Galadriel, oh my god, these names! I know. Galadriel, <laughs> to help replant the greenery of the Shire. Sam marries Rosie Colton, Cotton, sorry, and they have a baby together. Frodo remains in the Shire for a few years, so he eventually makes his way into the Great Havens with Sam, Merry, and Pippin in tow. He reveals that he will be leaving Middle-earth and is going to the Undying Lands with the elves Gandalf and Bilbo, ending their journey as ring bearers. The end. The fucking end
1: okay there's much to discuss today oh yeah um but the first thing that i wanted to bring up is the ghost army yeah because it just feels like a very different um vibe than the rest of the things that happen in these books
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so i I do have a question yes uh why was the big ghost army never mentioned before Mm. i mean i know that we've seen like the whites which are sort of ghosty like in uh the barrow downs in the first book But still, like, ghosts is a whole other thing than we've been dealing with so far fantasy-wise. It's a mood. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I guess it serves to also show how Aragorn is truly the rightful king because he's able to, like, command them and he doesn't die when he goes through, like, the cursed path and everything. Yeah. Uh, But, like, what an interesting moment in the book. Uh, He just, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll go get my ghost army and we'll, you know, steal some ships like pirates and then sail to the battle and kill everybody. So.
0: (laughs) Um, I don't have much to, like, bring to this conversation, but I do have a funny story. Oh, yes. To this. So a couple of years ago, um, I a group of friends and I, we were all, like, working in the same restaurant. And um, obviously January was a very slow month for restaurants. So we would, like, get together more often and, like, hunker down. And uh, every January we would, like, watch through a series. So I think we did Harry Potter one year. The next year we did um, Lord of the Rings. I think mm-hmm. we did, like, Indiana Jones or something. So the year we did Lord of the Rings... Uh, two of my friends uh, we're not as invested as the rest of us and we kind of like chat and we're like hanging out more during the films as opposed to the rest of it right. which like whatever we were just there to hang out but it did get to a point I remember at this point in the movie when uh, Aragon shows up to the battle and is like I'm here and they're they're like dude you and what army and we're like have you truly not been watching at all did you not watch that whole plot line <laughs> oh this army of the dead thing like they have a whole ghost army. That's Sue. Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's it's also interesting that in the book, he once they take over the ships, he releases them. Um so they the ghosts never actually come to the battle. They're like,
0: mm. you know,
1: released to be Yeah not like tethered spirits anymore or whatever um but in the movies the ghosties come and then they help win the battle at gondor mm-hmm. and then he releases them after so it's just like a little bit different yeah uh, i guess that was just for like dramatic effect and stuff but yeah for more know. visuals and stuff. yeah uh another thing denethor is not a nice dad
0: no, uh I this has like been apparent
1: him. and will continue to be uh but let's talk about him for a minute let's do it so yeah asshole alert the red flags are waving should should be picking up on this uh but there's a moment in the book where faramir is like hey uh do you wish that i died instead of uh boromir and his dad's like yeah seriously straight up i do what an asshole Mm -hmm. that's a terrible thing to say uh also who put this guy in charge i mean i understand that it's like a line of stewards so it was like chosen for him but he's totally delusional um yeah i don't like him
0: yeah not a fan
1: no not a fan uh but this does lead me into our next point okay so (laughs) we find out that denethor has been using the palantir the seeing stone that's in Gondor, to sort Mm -hmm. of scope out what's been going on in the world um but then when the battle's starting he sees what sauron's power and his army are doing and he sort of loses his mind a little bit yeah and he decides that the best thing to do is to burn himself and his son who's not actually dead yet alive um
0: you know super logical
1: yeah so that they won't die in battle or something so it's definitely a dark turn Mm -hmm. in the series that we don't really see anywhere else yeah uh so thankfully Pippin tries to get Denethor to come to his senses and save Faramir but Denethor basically ignores him and he's like fuck off um so then Pippin has to run all the way down to like the bottom gates where the battle's going on and be like Gandalf uh come help me save Faramir he's gonna die Uh, so then there's also this weird moment, uh, like a morality issue where Gandalf has to decide between saving Faramir and then like helping out in the battle and potentially saving like a bunch more lives. Mm -hmm. But in the end, uh, for some reason he decides to save Faramir. Um, and so he, yeah, he goes with Pippin and they get there just in the nick of time and, you know, yank him out. So Denethor dies, but they take, uh, Faramir to the healers and he's a-okay. He's all right. So that's good. But what a scarring moment. In general,
0: yeah, so that's the only part of the movie I remember watching as a kid. It's very, I think, graphic. added to my like, Lord of the Rings is grotesque and dark, and I'm not mm-hmm. a fan, um, was just like the image of uh Denethor like on fire. Like, I think in the movie, there's an image of him like running around like on fire,
1: yeah, he like sort of jumps off the cliffy thing,
0: yeah, that was on like, yeah. fire, yeah. So that's like my, when I think of Return of the King, that's like the main image I have of that film. Right. So it checks out, you know, between the orcs and all the battles and that, that I was like, you know what? I don't think the series is for me.
1: Yeah, totally Until fair. Until I
0: actually watched it and I went, oh, okay, there's a actually a very good plot going on here. Yeah, there's other stuff going on.
1: But yeah, I mean, it, it does feel a little bit out of place given the sort of tone of everything else in the book, mm-hmm. because this is the only... Um, sort of blatant moment of like a, a mental health crisis and also, yeah, a, a suicide attempt um, or like a, a murder-suicide, I guess, because yeah. Faramir's not dead and he he knows, but he's pretending he's dead so that he can die with him, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very dark. dark. Yeah. 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 The the tone was a little bit weird with, with this moment, for sure. But, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, they save Faramir and that's good because we like him. so. Yeah so that's great so a a completely different topic change of pace like mini feminist rant time slash question Mm -hmm. is this book feminist or is it undermining feminism i have thoughts Hmm.
0: yeah so with your thoughts
1: so we kind of get a feminist moment in the book when eowyn reveals herself as a woman and kills the leader of the nazgul the witch king uh but in the book we get like contextual information that the blade that Mary stabs the witch king with in like the back of the leg or something was an Mm -hmm. old blade that he got from the Barrow Downs that was made specifically back in the olden times to fight like the witch king. Mm -hmm. So, um, with like special old timey magics, basically that, um, enables them to kill him. Uh, and so, it's very convenient, first of all. Uh, but more importantly, does it take away from Eowyn's power and her feminist moment of being like, I'm a woman, I'm going to kill you? Uh, because in the movies, they ignore the whole Bombadil, Barrow Downs thing. So mm-hmm. the moment when Eowyn uh, kills him in the movie is much more impactful because it reads as like, she's doing it, not like Mary kind of did it first and then she just finishes him off.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and also like the the way that the lines from the book were adapted is in the movie when she reveals that she's a woman, she immediately kills him. And it's the impression that it gives is he's like, Oh, no man can kill me. And then she says, I am no man and kills him. And like those lines were not word for word, but like close to it in the book. But that's like a little bit before she actually kills him. Mm -hmm. So I think that the way that the movie adapted it made it definitely read as like a yay, powerful feminist moment. But my question is, I guess like, is that actually what the book was trying to do? Or was that like the extent of feminism that a male author could write in the 50s? Like, I don't know. Is it undermining it or is it like a good moment for the time?
0: Yeah, that's interesting because, um, yeah, it's the 50s. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like other examples of like, um, like female characters that would be like in a battle type setting. Mm-hmm. or something like this or like in positions of power to compare it to. And the yeah. thing is I can't like think of any. So, like, I feel like for the 50s, this was, like, the feminist moment. And, of course, yeah, in 2022, we're like, okay. Even, like, <laughs> the moment the movie is, like, an outdated feminist moment at this point. Um, yeah. Even though it's great, but, yeah. Um, yeah. I And I had, like, 100 percent respect the change in the movie like it's definitely tricky to bring more feminist moments um and themes from such a male character heavy novel yeah so i feel like for its time that was supposed to be like the feminist moment and then they tried to expand on it in the movie but we're kind of mm-hmm. stuck between a rock and a hard place because it was like well all the characters are male we have like three female characters to work with um yeah but i am really glad they took that opportunity in the movie to make that yeah, yeah. for sure yeah
1: but I think the movies were made about 40 years after the books came out, mm. and now it's been 20 years since the movies yeah. came out. So we, we have had a bit of time in between each of them now. Yeah, um, and there's been, like, yeah. huge
0: rapid changes in feminism, even since the movie came out. Like, it's yeah, kind of absolutely. been snowballing more and more.
1: Yeah. But – um Another interesting thing from my, my wealth of knowledge about the Lord of the Rings movies and the making of them that I never get to talk about because nobody cares, <laughs> uh, but now I have a platform to talk about it, is yeah. that uh, in the the um, Two Towers movie, they were actually going to have Arwen come to the battle at Helm's Deep and like, fight, and they filmed some scenes with the actress doing it, and yeah. then they cut it out of the final film because they were like well that's not in the book at all um oh, but it wait. it is i mean it would have maybe been weird and kind of forced to have her be there and to fight but it 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 is like also cutting out a uh, a cool like woman battle moment you know giving her a little bit more agency
0: yeah so it's I that, think, like it's a fine line
1: yeah it, yeah i think i think i understand what you're wondering is like is they're a way of honoring the the source text, but also updating it in a way that rings true to like the current mindset on certain political issues. You know. Yeah, and it doesn't feel yeah. forced because yeah. um,
0: uh, there's a moment in Avengers, uh, End Game where there's kind of this like supposed to be a girl power moment where um Brie Larson, I always say Captain Brie Larson as a joke. It's Captain Marvel. Oh, played yeah, by Captain Brie Larson, Um, has like the the stones or whatever, and she takes them from Peter and is like. I got to get them across here. I I've watched this movie once, if you can't tell. And then uh, he's like, you got this? She's like, oh, yeah. And all the, like, female Avengers, like, line up. And they're like, oh, she's got help. And so it's, this, um, it's supposed to be, like, a girl power moment while the uh, female Avengers, like, fighting this war, getting the thing mm-hmm. done. But then a lot of people are saying, like, it almost, like, undermined Captain Marvel's ability because, like, she was more than capable of handling that by herself. So it's like... yeah interesting like when are we forcing this like feminist girl power yeah. moment and this that's what i was trying to say when are we forcing it and like yeah. almost undermining it in a way um, that's a really good question and making it like a cliche and when mm-hmm. is it actually like about so the change with um uh the i am no man with Eowyn, like i think that's like not a forced moment that was a great opportunity to take yeah. um be like hey girl power she can do this by herself like uh whereas putting um oh my god i keep mixing up their names they all sound the same (laughs) yeah eowyn and arwen arwen um putting her in a battle where like there it doesn't make much sense for her to be there like story plot wise makes it a bit more like forced yeah
1: totally and although that being said i do appreciate where they did introduce her especially in um fellowship because her plotline yes, yep. is mostly in the appendices at the end of um, Return of the King, yeah. and so they actually took a lot of what was in I think the first appendix and then inserted it into the movie to give the character more like background and context, and mm-hmm. I think that that is a good example of using uh, of like incorporating more more female characters and adding more depth to them. Yeah. In a, in a like in a good way, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it's like, I'm glad and, that like, they... the
0: moment where um, Arwen like saves uh, Frodo from yeah. like the oh, that's riders, a good moment, yeah, yeah. So like that a moment like that, great opportunity. It doesn't feel forced. Yeah. It's like oh yeah, like someone's come to help Frodo, and it's a woman, yeah,
1: yeah. And and that's interesting too because in the book, that's actually a male elf that mm-hmm. um, takes him across, and so. In, yeah, it, it makes sense because they wanted to feature Arwen more prominently. So, of course, she's the one who comes and gets them and mm-hmm. saves Frodo. But it makes sense in the context because it's like, oh, yeah, she was looking for Aragorn because he was supposed to be back and he wasn't. Yeah. And also she's got, like, the good powers because she's the daughter of the big boy elf, mm-hmm. Elrond. So, <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I did like... Uh, yeah, all of that being said, Eowyn is a good character. And I did like this moment in the book. It's just for me, it's like not quite as good as the moment in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Just from like a modern perspective.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Okay, so uh after she does, you know, take down the Witch King though, she sort of succumbs to the wounds inflicted that have like the bad the bad boy poison basically. <laughs> um so <laughs> so uh aomer comes across her and thinks that she's gonna die uh so he takes her to the healers um which brings me to the whole king's foil debacle Mm -hmm. uh because there's a very large part of a whole ass chapter like a long chapter devoted to a misunderstanding between the healers and aragorn and it's like many many pages um so it takes up a lot of time in the book yep. uh, during a climactic moment. And it's literally just Aragorn trying to describe this plant to them and them being like, what's that? And then they finally find it and they heal everyone with it. And it's just like this magical drug. It's it's the same um, like weed that he gives to Frodo in the first book when he's been stabbed by the Nazgul blade. Yeah. Um, anyway, but it's just like, it was really funny to me that it takes up such a chunk in the middle of, like, two big events, which is right. the bottle in front of Gondor and then the bottle in front of the Black Gates. There's, like, this huge moment where Eric Iroquins, like, you gotta get the right weeds. You gotta, you gotta mush it up and sprinkle it on them.
0: Yeah. I, I, just I know thought it was have, funny. Yeah, I know we have a section later talking about the pacing of the book, but it was, like, yeah. that moment especially, it felt, that's when, like, it started to really throw the pacing off for me because we just had this yeah. hype battle, so much happening, and then, like, this, like, almost comedic moment. Like, I think it's meant to be a breath, uh, to kind of give yourself a moment before mm-hmm. we g- jump into, like, the climax of the whole series. Um, but, yeah, it just felt like it was, like, so much happening, and then we're just going to argue about plants for a yeah. second. Yeah, for and an a long time. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, my my assumption would be that at the point of finishing these books, Tolkien had come back from the Second World War. And so mm-hmm. I think I mean I'm I'm just making grand assumptions based on like very little information here yeah. but like maybe he was trying to to sort of depict that like war isn't one big climactic battle it's like oh, a series yeah. of of battles in different places with with people going around trying to survive and then there are you know there's like a very important part of war is like medical people going around like trying to heal everybody yeah. um so so maybe that was him trying to like have that kind of like fantasy realism situation going where he's like ah this is actually what battle is like but yeah. it did feel very disjointed in the in the um sort of arc of the plot for yeah, sure definitely yeah i just thought it was so funny that there's like half a chapter devoted to this leaf and i'm like okay yeah thanks Tolkien."
0: <laughs> yeah and then we also in this section get the Aon and Fairmere.
1: oh yeah it's kind of come yes
0: it's fulfillment, whatever.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So we like Faramir. He's great. Mm-hmm. We like Eowyn. She's great. Let's get them together. I'm fully on board with this, honestly. Right. Yeah. So,
0: Makes so sense. Faramir
1: and Eowyn are both very salty about having to stay behind when Aragorn mm-hmm. takes the armies to the Black Gates because they were both really badly wounded and they need to heal. So they sort of bond over this angst and then they get like better. They heal, you know, physically and emotionally together. Um, but we do get a lot of personal growth, I think, because Faramir becomes more like his own man after his father dies, and he comes to terms with, you know, what happened to his brother and his father, and I guess, like, develops the the confidence that, you know, he doesn't have somebody to, like, appease anymore, um, so he's just, like, living for himself now, which is beautiful, um, and then Eowyn also realizes that, like, her path doesn't have to end in violence and death, like, she can prove herself, and like maintain her quote like valor or honor or whatever, so she decides to be a healer. Um, I guess because of her time being healed, and you know she's like, oh, actually, this is pretty legit. I think I'll do this, uh, which which I think is great because I don't want her to die. I like her, so <laughs> so. Uh, Faramir is definitely into her first. Let's say uh, he's like, you're gorgeous. I think we should get married, and she's like, hmm maybe, <laughs> but then Eowyn gets on the same page as him eventually, and she realizes that she does love him, uh, and, like, the good news is that Faramir isn't really, like, the pushy kind of nice guy, um, he's actually being nice, so, like, we like that, but at the same time it is sort of him being like, hey, let's, like, go go on a walk, you know, let's hang out, and she's like, okay, I'll hang out with you, and he's like, I want to marry you, and she's like, mm, I'll hang out with you
0: for a little bit. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, but he does bend her over, and it's kind of sweet, so.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely not the worst pairing at all. Demia, um, like, felt a little on the poor side, just because mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. oh, we have a woman. She needs to fall in love, and
1: yeah, he's there, the too, problem. and they
0: seem like that makes sense. So, done. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I totally agree that the, the way that it's done in the book is kind of like, oh, they're stuck here together, so they have to be together now.
0: Yeah. And I guess it's because there's not much buildup beforehand to it
1: yeah because they haven't met before <laughs>
0: because they yeah, live in exactly.
1: two very different places <laughs> yeah yeah but but i think i also feel that way but the more you think about it i think the more well suited the two characters actually are oh yeah um, in terms of each Perry, other like i'm like yeah yep, yeah totally so it makes sense so i'm like you know it's not the worst thing that could happen
0: oh yeah i like i
1: like it it's it. definitely
0: not my least favorite thing of the book i'll say that. yeah
1: for sure <laughs> Next to the chapter on King's foil, this was pretty good yes <laughs> okay, changing pace entirely let's get let's get down to business uh frodo sam Gollum Mordor, the darkness, the drama okay, so Gollum actually kind of saves the day question mark
0: yeah
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> So, in an ironic but not unforeseeable turn of events, Gollum actually ends up being the one to get the ring into the volcano. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't mean to, obviously, <laughs> yeah. because he falls in, but still, he's the one that completes the task. And I think it's definitely fitting because he was the ring bearer for the longest time, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I'm very ticked off at Frodo. I mean, come on, man! I know, you yeah. spent like an entire ass year making this journey. Uh, you got all the fucking way to Mount Doom, despite the odds, and then you can't throw the ring in? Like, come on, man. I know, <laughs> I'm yeah. not mad, I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I mean, I understand that as he gets closer, it's harder, and he, like, deals the pull of the ring and all that shit, but, like, still, um, frustrating. But, yeah, like, 100%. also, to me, a little bit sad that Gollum dies. I mean, at least he dies with the ring, which is what he wanted, <laughs> but, Fair. like, we see, like, little hints that he could... Um, you know, sort of come back from the dark side or whatever. But then in the end, he doesn't.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about Gollum dying. Because, like, on one hand, uh, he's bloodthirsty. and will stop at nothing to get the ring. Um, But he's also, like, a corrupted individual um, that's, like, kind of blameless. Like, had he never come across the ring, would have never become like this, quite possibly. Um, Yeah. So, like, makes it kind of tragic in a way. But, um, yeah, so I feel very conflicted, because on one hand, I'm like, I don't like Gollum. But on the <laughs> yeah. other hand, I'm like, your story's kind of sad, actually, when you think about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he, he's got that sort of pathos going for him, where he's he's a very pathetic character, but that sort of makes him sympathetic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> I'd rather him fall into the volcano with the ring than, like, Frodo or Sam, obviously.
0: 100%. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, of the three, if I had to choose, I'd be like, yeah, I want Gollum to die. Yeah.
1: But it's it's such an intense moment, too, because, like, Gollum actually, you know, grapples with him while he's invisible and then actually bites his fucking finger with the ring on it <laughs> Right. And that is so, like, it's such a graphic, wild image to me. I know, Yeah. It's just a little, it's a lot. Um,
0: (laughs) Definitely.
1: And I'm just like picturing that scene in the movie where Frodo's standing with like his little stumpy finger with like blood dripping down his hand and he's all, you know, dirty and it's, yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. it's a thing.
1: It's a mood. But okay, back to to when we were talking about the pacing of the book. So we had sort of the climax, at least of the Battle of Gondor already, and it's in the middle of the fucking book. And then we have like a secondary climax of the Battle of the Black Gates. And then we have tons and tons of conclusion, extra stuff, including Mm -hmm. all the crap that happens in the Shire, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, But it did feel disjointed to me, like not the best pacing because there's, and I think part of that is because we're going, you know, we we deal with all of the stuff in Gondor and then we switch to like Frodo and Sam doing their thing. Or did they come first or second? I don't know um but yeah, it's exactly. because of the way that the perspective is split in two books of course like the pacing is going to be a little bit disjointed but i don't think he did any favors this by having it like this way
0: yeah 100 percent. it feels very like hurry up and wait like push and pull and then like mm-hmm. kind of all over the place like the little like graph line that measures the climax is like looks more like a heart rate for yeah 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 that's totally the right image Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because like yeah, it goes up. It's a huge one up for Battle of Gondor and then goes all the way right down for our little hero healing love triangle or love story. Then like back up and then even further up for the ring thing and then back down and then up a little bit again for the Hobbit shire thing and then back down and mm-hmm. so it's a little all over the place. And I think that's where I struggled with this book. Yeah. Especially towards the end when I was like kind of ready to wrap it up. And yeah, you're ready for it to be over. More was still coming. And I was like, oh my God, and there's still the appendices after this. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> something that happens that we've talked about multiple mm-hmm. times in the last couple episodes as well is that, um, all of a sudden, after Frodo and Sam get the ring into into Mount Doom, the Eagles are like, "Actually, oh now's the time for us to come out
0: and Hello. <laughs> save the day. We've been here the whole time. <laughs> We've been
1: here the whole time. We appeared briefly when we saved Gandalf in the first book, and then we were hiding. And we came back now that everything's a okay.
0: Right. Which
1: I mean, fair, but also, where the fuck were you,
0: <laughs> right, like-
1: during all of this bullshit? Um. Like, yes. is
0: there an actual, like, reason that they don't show up, or is this, like, just a massive plot hole that everyone kind of jokes about ignores? I mean, if
1: we're going off of the context from The Hobbit when they fly on the eagles, it's I think it's just that, like, they're the eagles aren't, like, into getting into other people's bullshit political messes, which I guess is what's happening between, like, the men and um, Sauron. Yeah. But that's not a good enough excuse for me. Yeah, it's that just seems not. Very weak. <laughs> it's not good enough. I mean, I'm glad that the Eagles were there to get Frodo and Sam out of an exploding volcano because yeah, how the heck great. else
0: would they have gotten out? Yeah, because um, they're fully like, oh, we're gonna die here. It's been nice. Yeah, love you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like-
1: yeah they're like fully prepared for the inevitability and then the eagles come and frodo's like i'm not dead oh yeah because when he he, when he wakes up gandalf is there and he he's the like him and sam are the only ones that don't know the gandalf's like yeah i'm back bitches i'm jesus now
0: oh yeah (laughs) so he's like so he's
1: like oh i'm dead obviously and he's like no you're not dead actually there's a lot of shit that's been going on this is great yeah yeah so i mean that's a good moment uh but yeah the eagles will eternally piss everyone off i think for the rest of time
0: true yeah yeah, and then we get into this whole like Shire nonsense. And like, I've, this was cut out of the film, I believe. So I was like, what is happening when I got to this? I was like, can we just wrap this up? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I remember when I read this book in high school, I'd seen the movies like several times at this point, mm-hmm. and I was shook that this whole entire plot point was in the books that wasn't in the movie although i am so eternally grateful that they cut it out fair yeah because it would have yeah okay first of all it would have made the movie actually five hours long yeah (laughs) and and second it's not good in my opinion um so the fact first of all first of all important things first the fact that sarama's nickname in the shire is sharky like i cannot (laughs) i cannot like, what is he, some uh, 1950s, like, Italian gang member in New York?
0: Like, bitch, please. My brain um, ch- ca- just kept uh, um, switching between uh, baby shark and shark, bait, shark, big ba- boo, ha, ha, ha. Oh, my God. Emo. So I was struggling to keep it serious, take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah, me too. For
1: sure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, okay, also the whole Shire being ruined and people being ruled by, like, a tyrant thing is a little bit much for me. Mm-hmm. I, I know that the point of this show uh, is to show how far Saruman and Sauron's reach was that they even made it to the Shire, which is, like, this idyllic place that yeah. most people don't know about. Um, but I don't like it. So <laughs> Fair. It felt, it felt weird to read about the hobbits, like, essentially having a rebellion just because they... Are so oblivious to everything else going on in the world. And like, why how did they get weapons? Like they don't have weapons in the Shire, you know? Um right. and it's it's sort of like a third climax, but way less climactic than the previous two climaxes because this isn't about like Sauron's already gone, you know. This is just like extra nonsense.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh yeah, and like at this point in the book, you kind of want things to be wrapped up. You don't want to be right, introducing yeah. a new problem
0: mm-hmm. at this point,
1: uh, that we haven't heard of before. And I mean, yeah, I think that the movie leaving this out was definitely a good call. It, and and that's also, like I said, in the the last podcast, like, the, the reason in the extended cut that they showed Saruman's death on screen was to completely rule out this being in the next movie you know Mm -hmm. because they were like no we're not getting into that at all (laughs) like you need to know he's dead
0: like we're not doing that i respect that yep that makes sense that they changed that ending like
1: it's a very graphic on-screen death for him but like it makes sense that we needed to see him die in such a way that we knew he wasn't coming back for this bullshit yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah.
0: and then after all that um then there's these appendices at Mm -hmm. the back so like I, I personally didn't get a chance to read them. I focused more on the plot aspect. Yeah. But, um, I'm always confused with like appendices. Like, are you supposed to read them? Is it just like extra reading for the uh, tryhards? Like, the big what? nerds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, that's a good question. I mean, for sure, we've had a lot of questions about why things are happening and why people are the way they are and like where they came from and what their motivations are and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, the appendices... actually answer a lot of our questions okay all um but like you have to actually get through them to to learn the answers yeah (laughs) and it's very convoluted i got about halfway through and then gave up timing wise um and because there was lists of like thousands of people's names and i was like i don't i can't follow this yeah um yeah but there's so much information packed into like the last sort of third or quarter of the book yeah um yeah like a lot of answers but also created a lot more questions for me Mm -hmm. um yeah but this is some serious world building contextual information that he's got going on here that he did not need to do but he was like this is for the fans you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but Tolkien truly did have the whole world and each like distinct age of the world figured out and fully realized like he knew exactly who the important people were at each time yeah uh, how how the world was formed like the different uh sort of tiers of power within the world structure like it's completely fully realized yeah and it's actually wild how much information he backed in there mm-hmm. uh and my my big question is like how the fuck did he come up with all of this and make it seem coherent mostly and cohesive like i'm very right.
0: impressed <laughs> I know it's wild that people, yeah, do that. like nobody
1: like, has. I think ever come close to this level in oh, not at all. 120 years, you know, of writing.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah, truly absolutely. incredible. <laughs> yeah, but thank you for clearing that up with the, the appendices. Um, yeah, I always uh, think about. I think it was when I read Les Mis. That was my first time coming across like an appendix scene. I was like, Oh yeah, what an appendix? And I was like, What do I do with this? And like literally in. So lame is it's very similar to J.R. Tolkien, just, like, a lot of information for, yeah. like one page of plot. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I, I think the appendix, like, one of the chapters is literally, like, uh, the convent, an abstract thought or something like that. <laughs> oh because there's, like, a hot second where Jean Valjean and Cosette live in a convent, yeah. with, like, to protect themselves and then before leaving. Uh, and we don't get any plot from there. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, they were there. And then about ten years later... He left because she was getting too old. Um, but then he has this whole chapter just talking about the convent. I didn't even read. I think I got, like, three pages in. It was like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally fair. And he's it's like not you know, for I've everybody. I read full chapters on how to build a barricade, uh, how the sewers of Paris worked in this yep. time, uh, yep. the, the Battle of Waterloo, just for a hot second, a plot that kind of comes <laughs> back later. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah anyways. it's yeah
1: definitely wild how much information he was able to create because it's like mm-hmm. his own world so it's not a history that already exists yeah know? that's
0: the thing yeah with uh Lee is it's a whole history that he's filling people in on especially that yeah. was written in a time when like maybe people didn't know much about the battle of waterloo how yeah. the sewer system worked because there wasn't as much, many books and information and the internet to learn about it um, but yeah. yeah, to like make up all that information that we're building by yourself is so impressive, and that's definitely oh, I think yeah. the, I think why this series has survived and why it's has lived so long is because of just like how massive this world is and how impressive and like how tightly structured it is. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, I like think there's like it's a level, story, of, but, yeah, a level of yeah, a level of sort of respect. I think it's also kind of the benchmark yeah a lot of people use because it's iconic i guess <laughs> yeah definitely. but yeah yeah and and i'm totally interested now in going and reading some of his other works about middle earth i just mm-hmm. need to find time
0: to do that yeah
1: true. uh i have one of them on my shelf that i should read so
0: <laughs> is there one coming out i saw i'm saving alive
1: no, no, okay, so here's the here's the T. So he okay. passed away like a while ago. Yeah. Uh I was but like, I his his, did. his like a while, a while ago, but his son um posthumously published a lot of his uh works because he'd had stuff like mostly finished or entirely finished. Oh, so his son either okay. edited them or looked at his notes and sort of touched them up and finished them. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of the contextual stuff actually was published after he died.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I was flipping yeah. through something and it was like books that are coming out soon and there's a J.R. tolkien and i was like i thought he was very much oh he is
1: yeah yeah it's it's um his son i think who's been doing a lot of that stuff yeah all right the legacy (laughs) lives on
0: yeah 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 so any last thoughts random thoughts as we start to wrap up here
1: yes this is one of those big questions that would probably be answered if i had finished the appendices but i did not uh so like if Frodo and Bilbo go to the Undying Lands, do they not die? Also, um, what's the deal with that? Like, yeah, it's sort of—it's sort of that. like heaven, because regular people can't really go there, and also the elves don't die, and the things don't die, and Sauron can't can't touch it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Is it another Narnia? Oh my god! They were friends. <laughs> I'm forever Those two no, no no no. <laughs> forever bitter. It's possible. <laughs> it's. You know,
1: at least they all didn't die in a train crash.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and then end up in the real shire that they actually were trying to find all along. Oh my god.
1: I literally can't with that fucking book. If you haven't listened to our Narnia episodes, please do so, because it's us just having a breakdown, being (laughs) confused by the bullshit.
0: And take a shot every time I said I almost threw my book. Yeah. Please, it's very fun. You'll be hammered.
1: (laughs) Anyway, in my opinion of the two friends, Tolkien is clearly superior, but that's just my opinion. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So that was that was my main question, is it's sort of heaven, but sort of not, but it kind of is, and that's where I'm at.
0: That's how I read it, yeah, was yeah. it's kind of like a, we're going to, like, almost like, like embracing death and being like, you know what, it's our time, we're going. Here. Yeah, yeah. Also... <laughs>
1: completely unrelated i just love so much how like and Gimli go off on their own adventure after all of this takes place like it's a a bro honeymoon you know
0: a brony moon this is the romance i was truly here for this whole book yeah for sure yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's you know in the movies even
1: i think they played up the tension between the two characters more because in the books they just straight up become besties right away
0: right they're kind of like you're an elf and they're like actually you're chill actually i love you yeah (laughs)
1: Yeah, but it's it's such a it's a good moment because you learn about the resolutions of like all the other characters, you know. Um Aomer becomes King of Rohan, Aragorn mm-hmm. becomes King of Gondor, uh their siblings get married and live in Athelion mm-hmm. and um or whatever the name they call it after is and he becomes, like, sort of the prince of that area. You know, Sam and Merry and Pippin go back to the Shire, and they're, like, legit, and they're, like, kind of lords, and everybody respects them. Yeah. And then the kiddos, you know, Gandalf, the elves, Frodo, and Bilbo go off to the Undying Lands. So, like, Willis and Gimli are the two, like, oh, we don't get as much of a detailed resolution. But they yeah. do go off on their own adventure because they go, I think, to see the mines behind uh, Helm's Deep. And go look at the pretty things. And then they are going to go after that to see Mirkwood where Legolas is from. So they're basically just like, lose, like, here's some caves. And Legolas is like, this is my dad. Please say hello.
0: You know? <laughs> I love that for them.
1: Yeah, I do. It's I, a really great little that's moment. That's the
0: spin-off series I want to read. Is oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> after. That's the Amazon series they should have made. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Please spend a billion dollars producing this. Thank you. <laughs> People will watch it. It
0: would be very fun. Oh, I
1: would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I enjoyed it. That was, yeah, that's all I had to say about it. It was good.
0: (laughs) All right. So um, how would you rate this book now as a grown up?
1: So, okay, you know what? I think that actually, this is maybe my least favorite of the three books, Mm -hmm. but I still enjoyed reading this one. I can't quite say why, except that I don't like how we get like uh, another climax in the shire after the whole thing is over yeah um i probably would keep the rating at a seven though because it's still good and i like the way that things are wrapped up and it does feel very like final and nice
0: Mm -hmm. yeah um i'm the same i think this one was my least favorite um i think i'll do a six for this Mm -hmm. one um like I was excited for the cl- conclusion and just felt like a little all over the place. It's a satisfying conclusion. Like it's a good end. Um, like, these ends are all tied. It, I think yeah. it's just the format of it, how it yeah, kind, yeah, of set, yeah. Like, kind of the heartbeat climax, totally thing going up and down. Um, and I think that's why the movie works so well is because they're able to. Merge those plot lines because it's easier to keep track. Yeah, it's like a montage situation. Yeah, so then yeah. they can put all the climaxes together in one, and then cutting out the whole Shire thing. Yeah, um, I think <laughs> made it a, a more like smoother arc. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, of the series as a whole, how would you rate the whole series?
1: Uh, good question. I think I would give the series as a whole maybe an eight. Which might be higher than all of the books, <laughs> the ratings I gave the books. I think I was between a 7 and 8 for all of them. Yeah. But I think I think I would give the series an 8 because it does take a lot of dedication to get through it, but I think that the payoff is really high. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, d- I did greatly enjoy reading them now. Yeah. And I think my favorite book would either That's... be, I think would be Fellowship just because it's like the starting of everything. Although maybe Two Towers, I don't know. <sighs> Maybe, yeah maybe fellowship I think it's the same with like fellowship. the movie I think both the starting is my favorite for both
0: right yeah yeah what about you that was actually gonna be my next question which one was your favorite oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna give this series as a whole I think a seven I'm almost leaning towards a six I mm-hmm. think because I just wish I had more time to sit with it yeah and like uh just because we had a tight span we had to read it I had to like listen to the audiobook while doing other things because it's just mm-hmm. been a busy time for me so I wish I had more time just like be able to sit and read and not be rushed and be able to, like, uh, take it in a bit more. Um, But I still really, it's still, like, an amazing story. Um, Huge respect for, like, the world building and, like, what it is and what it's done for the fantasy genre. Yeah. Um, uh, So I think that's why I'm leaning towards a seven as opposed to a six. But I I think Two Towers was my favorite. That was the one I was, Mm -hmm. like, the most... uh, um, captivated by like it's the tightest plot wise yeah and i think that's why because it was fast paced yeah um there wasn't as much like long chapters of explanation there's a lot going on so i think two towers is my favorite
1: yeah that sounds good i totally think that makes sense good Mm -hmm. call (laughs) thanks all right so we will be taking a bit of a break over the holidays which are coming up So keep an eye on the BBL social media to see
0: when we will be releasing new episodes. And happy holidays. Yeah. Give us a follow on Instagram. Um, I I think we have a TikTok. Yeah, we have a TikTok. Um, Yeah. Books Before Liquor. We'll see you all soon. This has been Books Before Liquor. Never been sicker. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Books Before Liquor and Twitter at BooksBL Podcast.
1: And check us out on our website at booksbeforeliquorneverbeensicker.ca or email us at liquor at gmail.com to scream at us about great books or send us recommendations or whatever. We love to hear from you. And you can also support us by visiting patreon.com slash booksbeforeliquorneverbeensicker.
0: And now, go drink a big glass of water.